Uh, we do this fairly often at this church. Um, we especially do this every Easter. Is uh, I ask a couple of people to share um, their testimony, share how the risen Christ has changed their lives. And so I've asked two people to do that tonight, uh, two of our newest members. And so I'm going to ask Virginia Brasher, I've been trying to find her, um, if she would come on up and share with us, testify about the Lord Jesus' work in her life. Hi, um, I'm Virginia Brasher, and um, I'm nervous. <laughs> um, I have these butterflies in my stomach. I just wish they would just take flight and be released. Um, but um, our family has been going here since um, late summer. Um, my husband, Shane, is back there. He's got the Duck Dynasty thing going on. And um, we have three children. Um, Two are upstairs, and Clayton and Maggie, and then we've got Nolan, who's almost seven months, and he's in the nursery, and um, it's just been such a wonderful thing coming into this community, and we are so thankful for Redeemer, and um, it's already just um, challenged us and just been such an encouragement, so I look forward to getting to know all of you, but um, Joel had asked me to share my testimony and um, so here goes. <laughs> Growing up, um, I grew up going to church. We would go, um, I, I guess, pretty regularly on Sundays. And um, it, w- it was really nothing more than that for me, though. It was just kind of going through the motions and going to church and, and being there and leaving it there and then um, and then coming back the next Sunday or maybe two weeks later. And um, so I never really had a relationship with Jesus, didn't really know that was an option. And um, toward the end of high school, just uh, started hanging out with the wrong crowd and battled some depression and eating disorders and um, just really was not a happy person. I didn't have any joy um, at all. And when I went to college, that only worsened. Um, I was away from home, new friends, um, kind of had my my own schedule to deal with and just... um, went further into depression and um, hanging out with the wrong people and um, experimenting with drugs and um, just drinking entirely too much. And um, one night, um, just in an attempt to, to feel ex- accepted because my worth um, had just shriveled up to nothing, um, I um, met a guy and... Um, gave him something that was very important to me that meant everything to me and meant absolutely nothing to him. And what little value and worth I had felt before that time um, just plummeted to um, nothing. And I just went into just a deep, dark period in life. And um, just one after a few months of of living in darkness, um, one night, just decided I was just ready to just end it all. And um, I intentionally overdosed. And um, almost immediately after I had done that, um, panic set in and called a friend. And um, long story short, ended up in the ER and had my stomach pumped. And this sweet couple um, came the next day in the hospital. And... um, 
they um, were Campus Crusade ministers, and sorry, they knew how to love people, and they knew how to, how to share the gospel with me, and that's exactly what they did, and they invited me to come and live in their home, and I was only there a few weeks, but during those few weeks, they just poured Jesus into me. And they, they not only just told me about Jesus, they, they lived it out. And they prayed with me. And, and Jesus was just the center of their house. Even if we weren't always talking about him, he was a part of everything that we did. And it's, it's how Shane and I try to model our home. Now we don't do nearly as good a job as they do. But, but they had Christ at the center. And it made a huge impact on me. And I can remember being in their little townhouse in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and their, their teeny little guest bedroom that, that they had given to me for those few weeks, and being on my knees and praying that God would just take over my life and that Jesus would become center. And I wish that I could say that from that point on, it was just daffodils and roses, and, and I lived and focused my life directly on Christ after that, but that, that wasn't the case. I after moving from from their their townhouse and going back to my dorm, um, I kind of I kind of went into some of my old habits, but but I was changed. I had been impacted in a major way and and shown the gospel and how it could be a relationship and how it could work in my life. And um, God just continued to just chisel away at me and and work at me and. After college graduation, I had met Shane during college, and after graduation, we came back to Birmingham, and his parents, um, or, excuse me, his, well, his parents live in Birmingham, but his grandparents um, needed a ride to church. They were just too sick to be driving themselves, and so we started taking them to church, and um, that ended up being such a blessing for us because we would we would hear the gospel because we were taking to, them to church, and it became just our regular routine to... Um, to be with them, and, and they would pour into us, and, and we could see their relationship and how close they were to Christ, and, and we wanted that. And as we, as we continued to do that, God just changed us completely, and, and he became our center. And um, Shane, I remember Shane giving me a Bible for Christmas shortly after that, and, it, and I was so excited to get it, and it was something that I wanted to read and not just something that was just going to sit on my bedside table and collect dust. It was something I was so excited to have. And, um, and looking back, it, it's so easy to be ashamed of, of my past. And I think Satan would probably want me to, to be ashamed of it. But um, Christ has made me new. Um, because I am in him, he's made me a new creation. And, and all of that old stuff is gone and, and he's made me new in him, and he's also used it. Shane and I had an opportunity at um, where we were attending last to just be with teenagers who were kind of dealing with these same issues of depression and darkness and trying out drugs, and um, God just used these opportunities for us to to be with them, to share with them, and to see lives changed, and I am just so thankful for a God who, who saw me in that filth and 
when I was dirty and ugly, and he saw a treasure inside of me. And I am so grateful for that and so grateful that he, he sees treasure in, in all of us. And um, I stand here today not perfect in, in any means. He is still working on me. I still have an infernal temper, and I still know just the right things to say to my husband to, to hurt him to the core, and I still yell like a crazy lunatic to my children sometimes and God is so merciful and I'm so thankful for his steadfast love and his mercy and his grace that he has shown on us and our family and um, my prayer is that he'll just continue to um, pour into us um, as a community and um, that he would change our hearts and that we would see less of ourselves and just more of him and that our reflection each day would um, just resemble him and just just a little bit more each day. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Virginia. Um, we're naming a special home group attendance award after Virginia. Uh, when she was in our home group, uh, she, nine months pregnant, she left our group when it was over, went to the hospital, had a baby, and was back for our next home group. <laughs> and so there's really no excuse to ever miss a home group. Uh, next, I've asked uh, Jimmy Honeycutt if he would come up here and share his story with us. All right, well, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive our perfect praise. Um, happy Easter, Saints of Redeemer Community Church. Thank you, Virginia, for that testimony. God bless you. Uh, my name is Jimmy Honeycutt. Uh, my family and I have been attending Redeemer here since August of last year and been members since January. My wife is sitting over here with a beautiful dress on, <laughs> Stephanie, and we have two daughters. Zoe's three, and Gabby will be two in July. Um, we're so grateful that the Lord has led us to be a part of this body of believers. You guys have been so gracious, welcoming to us, especially our home group, the Johnsons and the Harpers. Thank you very much. Um, Joel asked me to share today, and I'm honored to have this opportunity. I hope that in this brief reflection that uh, you and I both would be encouraged and maybe healed, and obviously I hope that your focus isn't so much on me but on Christ. So, um, without further ado, here we go. Um, Halloween 2001, my friends and I have a magnificent plan to be Smurfs for Halloween. There's four of us. Uh, we have Papa Smurf, Vanity Smurf, Hefty Smurf, and Brainy Smurf. We go all out, blue body paint, ears, the hat, pants, shoes, the whole nine yards. We go to downtown Gainesville. I'm a student at the time at the University of Florida. And we get second place in a contest, costume contest, it was a good night, but the entire night from start to finish was ruled by my addictions. Before the night even started, I needed a pack of cigarettes because if I wasn't smoking, I would have been miserable that night. And most of the night was spent waiting in line for uh, drinks. If I wasn't drunk, then it wouldn't have been fun. And when the night ended, um, after being drunk, bars were closed, I needed to be high. So I started asking around for drugs, which led me to a not-so-good part of town in downtown Gainesville, asking someone if they had drugs or knew where I could find drugs. 
And if you could picture this ridiculous state of a Smurf walking around the hood asking someone for drugs. But it is a picture of what my life was like at the lengths that I would go to satisfy my addictions and this hunger that was never satisfied. It was a thirst that could not be quenched. You know, if I was drunk, I needed to be more drunk. And soon drunk wasn't enough. I needed to be high, whether that was smoking or pills or powder. If I could sleep with someone, then I did, and on to the next. And within a few, four, few maybe three or four years, I've been arrested for open container, kicked out of a fraternity for drugs, and nearly expelled from university. Um, and low point came in 2004 after a night of drunken debauchery for discretion's sake, let's say um, mutual, uh, multiple intimate relations that you might see on the internet or in an adult movie. And in the course of succeeding days after that, just becoming over, overwhelmed with shame and amazed at how far I as a person had fallen, um, I was just awakened to my depravity and my need for a savior. Um, so to this day, I don't know why God did not just lead me in that place. He would have been just if he would have just left me in that place of uh, helplessness and poverty and despair, or he could allow my heart to harden to return the same lifestyle that I uh, previously led to my despair, but for no other reason that I can imagine other than for the praise of his grace, he had mercy on me, and he changed my heart, and he reminded me of the gospel that I heard so many times as a child, the good news of Jesus, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So I weeped, I confessed, I repented, I fasted, I trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And looking back, nine, here nine years removed from those events, um, I'm even more in awe at the love of God manifested at the cross of Christ. Um, Emil Brunner says that at the cross, God makes known both his holiness and his love in one simultaneous event. And what he means by that is when God forgives me, he's not just sweeping my sins under the rug or pretending like they didn't happen. God's holiness demands punishment. As the righteous judge of the universe, his character is at stake when he forgives me. But though his holiness demanded a punishment, his wonderful love provided a substitute for that punishment, a sacrifice. He gave of himself. God redeemed me from my death sentence with the very life of his innocent son. On the cross, God imputed to Jesus. He put on him the guilt of my immorality, my addictions, my adultery. And he punished him over and over and over again until his wrath and his anger was completely satisfied so that I could be forgiven. More than that, the perfect, devoted, obedient life that Jesus led for God up until his last breath, that righteousness is imputed to me by faith in Christ so that I can stand before a holy God as not just not guilty, but righteous. And Jesus on the cross endured the most humiliating of deaths. He was stripped naked, mocked, slapped, beaten, whipped, and lifted high, nailed on a cross for the world to see my humiliation and my shame so that today I can be shameless and receive the promise in him of no condemnation, which I have to remind myself of quite frequently. And Jesus, um, in his darkest final hours, 
cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus in his darkest hour was forsaken by his father so that in my darkest hour I could be comforted and welcomed into the family of God, accepted as a child of God, be able to relate to God as my father and receive the inheritance of a child of God of eternal life with him. And though Jesus died on that cross, he was buried in the tomb, scriptures affirm that on the third day he rose from the grave. And because of that, we and myself was able to put to death that person I used to be, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to walk in newness of life. Jesus began a process of me those nine years ago of reversing the curse of sin in me so that I could become the Jimmy God originally created me to become, and he'll one day finish it. He's not there yet. Um, And when I experienced God's mercy in my darkest, ugliest of hours, I fell in love with my creator, not unlike the simple woman in Luke who washed our Lord's feet with her hair and her tears. I, too, know what it's like to love much because I've been forgiven of so very much. And once God was on the throne of my heart where he rightly belonged, the lusts, the things of the world that captivated my attentions for so many years began to seem really quite frivolous. And obeying God was no longer a burden. It was not something that I had to do to earn merit, but it was an opportunity to love God and reflect the character of the one who saved me. And God began a satisfaction in me that nothing could ever quench before. Just knowing my Father, living for Him, serving Him, being able to serve and help others, I began to experience genuine, lasting satisfaction that the world could never provide. And today, nine years removed from these events, um, I'm married to a wonderful, beautiful wife. I once felt unworthy of any woman, much less a godly woman, but she is a godly woman who loves and respects me and um, manages our home with dignity and grace. She brings our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I know there are many excellent women here, but Stephanie Honeycutt surpasses them all. Um, okay, I don't mean to create a competition for the next person who gets up here and has to talk. But... Um, I was going to close with something different, but Virginia, um, you changed me, so I'm going to try to do this. Bear with me. Um, On behalf of that person who took something for you, that was me years ago. Please forgive me. And anyone else who's been hurt by someone like me, I pray for your healing. And maybe we both can provide a little bit, be given a little healing in this moment. And if there's anyone out there who maybe was like me, who you're searching, you're feeling these hungers and these thirsts, trying to feel satisfaction, and I'm here to tell you, you won't find it any other place than Christ. Now, I don't want to make it sound like my life has been sugar-coated. There have been difficult times, um, many difficult times. I mean, there's been consequences to sin, sicknesses, um, hard apologies that I've had to make 
Um, Steph and I, we lost our our first child in pregnancy and nearly lost Zoe five months into the pregnancy. Um, a roommate and friend of mine that was recovering from addictions, relapsed, and it cost him his life, messed me up for a while. But throughout these things, God has been faithful, and I can testify today that Jesus is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our celebration. Worthy is the Lamb. Happy uh, Easter, Redeemer. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy and Virginia. Um, If you would, open your Bibles to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Jimmy and Virginia, I just I want to say that it has been obvious in the short time that I've known you guys that Christ is alive in you and that He is changing you and making you more and more like Him. It's a joy to see. We're going to begin reading in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope. We are, in this hope, we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
We know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pray with me. Our Lord Jesus, we are gathered together for no other reason than you have brought us here. You have changed us. You have drawn us to yourself. When we were enemies of you, when we were running away, you have drawn us close to your heart. I thank you for how we have heard that in the lives of Jimmy and Virginia and in And we could take time and we would hear that from just about every person in this room. We would hear about your incredible mercy and your love towards us. And God, I pray that in this moment you would make clear your word that you, the living Jesus, would speak to us through your spirit. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, I got to spend some time in Indonesia Um, and experience up close um, severe poverty. Um, I would walk around, and the the shanty towns there were just endless. Um, As a matter of fact, I I went running one morning, and I got lost because it all looks the same. It's just endless shanty towns. And uh, I was running for over two hours, and I could not find my way back because it was all just the same. Two weeks ago, I was in Haiti, and there was a lot of similarities between Haiti and uh, the people and the, the culture, uh, the cities that were in Haiti or in, in Indonesia. There, there was the same amount of poverty there. There was a lot of the shanty towns. Uh, there was people who were struggling daily just to survive. Things like clean water was not anything that uh, was readily available. You, you couldn't take that for granted. Um, And yet, my time in Indonesia, my time in Haiti could not have been any more 
different. There, there was one striking difference. It was really startling. Uh, both places had, uh, had dogs barking well into the night. Um, almost every night you would hear dogs being killed around you as packs of dogs would, would, would just surround. And there was those horrific sounds there. Uh, both places had the pigs, you know, that were uh, all around keeping you up. There was also the quiet voices of, of a village or a town going to sleep. But in Haiti, there was singing. And I will always remember that singing. As my bed was by the window and I could hear, I could hear some women in the kitchen a few buildings away, and they were just singing praises to Jesus. I could hear a woman's choir group. They were gathered together. They were singing hymns in three-part harmony, and it was just gorgeous. I could hear the kids in their dormitories of Christian Canaan community, and they were just singing spontaneous praises to Jesus. Outside my window, I heard somebody walking by, and he was singing in Creole. And I didn't recognize what the words he was saying, but I recognized the tune. It was, Our God is Mighty to Save. Our God is Mighty to Save. Same situations in both of these cultures, but one, one of these people, they had hope. Both had poverty. Both lived in these extreme conditions, but there was, there was this hope, this tangible hope in this Canaan community at Haiti because they believed in the resurrected Jesus. And they believed that someday, too, they would share in that resurrection and that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits them. And it set their hearts on fire singing. And it was such a contrast from my time in Indonesia. These people in the early church had the same type of hope that these Haitians had. It's the same hope that you find throughout all of the New Testament that someday Jesus will return to earth in glory and that He will give us, those who love Him, those who are redeemed, He will give us new resurrected bodies. If you read through the letters of Paul, um, you're going to feel this hope. Now, Paul doesn't so much talk about um, what we spend a lot of our time talking about, just this kind of this heavenly bliss. He, but he doesn't spend so much time talking about uh, you know, our souls going away into heaven and you know, floating on clouds and being given harps and singing kumbaya for all of eternity. Um, he, he, that's not what Paul has in mind. That's not where he has fixed his hope. His hope is in the resurrection. That someday Christ will give us a new body like His and that He will come to this earth and He will give us a new world and heaven and earth will be reunited. And just as Jesus prayed, Thy kingdom come, that would happen. And that we would reign with Christ for all of eternity in a very physical, real way. That was His hope. All of His hopes rested on the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection of Jesus, he had no hope. He, he would call Jesus the first fruit of creation. Just like you know, when you get that 
that first apple of the season or that first tomato of the season. And the moment you have that, you know what's coming behind. That was your first taste, but there's going to be many, many more. And when we look at Jesus and we see his resurrected body, and Paul calls that the first fruits because we are coming in his wake. And our body will look like his. He is the first to be raised, but we will follow. And the resurrection is not just our hope. It's the hope of all of creation. That's what we read about here in Romans 8. Romans 8, you know, in many ways, you kind of think it's like the pinnacle of the Bible. I mean, getting there, it is just, I was only going to read a few verses and I couldn't stop. It's just so glorious. Look with me at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, and why is it that creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God? And, and actually, in Greek, the, the, the phrase is like up on tiptoes or straining of the neck. And, and the picture is this, creation is, is straining and looking anxiously waiting for the day when the sons of God would be revealed. And to understand why creation itself is doing this, you have to go back to Genesis. You have to go back to the garden and look at Adam and Eve. When God created the world, He created everything good. He created everything beautiful. And He placed Adam and Eve in charge and He gave them dominion. He said, I want you to work. And this was this God glorifying, joyful, hard work. But that's what man was supposed to do. He says, I want you to have dominion over all this. I want you to tend the garden. I want you to bring out its fruitfulness. I want you to bring out the potential in all of creation. You're you're in charge of this. But then we know the story. We know how Adam and Eve, they fell. And when they fell, the consequences were disastrous, not just for them, but for all of creation. Not only did they become a slave to sin, but all of creation became in bondage. All of creation fell under a curse. And rightly so, because we were there to bring out the potential of creation, but we had fallen And now creation itself was set back and and man would no longer joyfully work to the glory of God. He would toil by the sweat of his brow with thorns and thistles as he put plow to the earth. As all of the earth felt the curse and the weight of our sin. This is what Paul describes in verse 20 when he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And now all creation is groaning. It's longing for redemption. 
I love that, that, that groaning of, of creation. And, and Paul says it's what we do as well. Now we're groaning. Creation is groaning. We're groaning. Then later the Spirit is going to groan in Romans 8. It's the groan that comes before childbirth in which there's tremendous amount of pain. But all that pain is forgotten when the joy of the child is before you. We're in the midst of childbirth. Creation is groaning, waiting for the time when new life will come, when the sons of God will be revealed. When when Paul says in verse 19 that all of creation is longing for the sons of God to be revealed, what he's saying is it's longing for when we are given our resurrected bodies and we are given once again to this earth and we can bring out its potential again. That we will once and for all, we'll finally do the task that God had enabled us to do. That God has designed for us to do. That we will bring out its potential and creation is longing for this to happen. For it to be freed as we have been freed. That we would once again work to the glory of God and no longer by the sweat of our brow. And let me tell you that we cannot comprehend the glory that awaits both us and creation when this happens. We we get hints of it in different parts of Scripture. Let let me just read you a few. All you have to do is hit the Psalms, hit the mid-90s and up, and you're good to go, all right? We'll look at Psalm 96. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Psalm 98, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Now let the sea roar in all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Isaiah The great prophet, he speaks of the same thing in Isaiah 55 when he says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now, when the psalmist and the prophet say that the trees of the field are going to sing and they're going to clap their hands, You could call me a fool, but I don't think he's speaking metaphorically. If God can make me dance, all right, he can make a tree sing. He can make a tree clap or the rivers clap. Just as those children in Haiti were dead but are now alive and are singing, that will happen in all of creation, all right? The reason I tell you this on Resurrection Sunday is because I want you to see who God has created you to be. 
This is your destiny. This is your purpose. This is our meaning in life. I want you to see the glorious future that you have been promised and that which has been secured in Christ Jesus. And this is how this affects us today. Through the Spirit of Christ, this new life has already broken through in us. All right? Paul calls it the the first fruits or the down payment. We are assured that this is our future. This is our joyful future because the Spirit of God already tells us that. And we could begin now even working towards that end. We can even begin now, you know, sharing the good news on Woodlawn, trying to make things beautiful and life-giving. Because this is what awaits us for all of eternity. It's the reason that God created us, to bring out the joyful fulfillment in all creation for the glory of God. I could see that so clear in Haiti. I'm not sure if there is another place in the world that you could so look at the soil and say, this is cursed. With a pickaxe, you could go forever and go about that deep. And yet, even there, you saw the seeds of redemption and the hope that had been brought there. And it makes me read things like Psalm 96 and Psalm 98, and you would see the few trees around in Haiti, and you could say, they are getting ready to break forth in song when the glory of the sons of God are revealed. Pray with me. Jesus, you are the first fruit. When we see you, we will become like you. You will give us new bodies. You will give us a new earth. And we will live forever, joyfully working gardening, bringing out the potential of what we see around us to where trees sing, rivers clap. All of creation is filled with the glory of God. That you allow us to be a part of that just stuns me. And all we can say is that you are amazing and that you are good and that we praise you, Jesus, And we pray this in your strong name. Amen.